Amen. Aren't you glad that once we stood guilty and now we can stand free and clear, not guilty, in the blood of Christ? And what a wonderful truth that is. All right, as we look this morning uh, at our text and we begin, I want to just kind of take a minute and kind of run through some highlights of each verse. I love this chapter of the Bible. It is uh, very encouraging and enlightening. Uh, and it's written by David, and he has gone through so much in his life, and he's had so many failures to cope with, but yet experienced so much victory. Uh, and depending on where we are in life and, and what's going on in our own lives, oftentimes whenever you think of David, uh, you kind of think of a victory or a defeat, kind of depending on what's resonating with you. Uh, and so but he's had so much that he's experienced. When we look at this particular section of uh, the chapter, he says, thy testimonies are wonderful. Uh, and you know, it's a certain truth that God's word is wonderful. Uh, you know, the world doesn't understand it. A lost person cannot really fathom or grasp much of the truth of it. And there are things that about it that are just so deep that uh, even when you've been saved for many years and been a student of the word of God, maybe even for a lifetime, you can be amazed by how many things that God will show you that you never saw before, that you never experienced before. The Word of God truly is wonderful. It's wonderful for a number of reasons. It's wonderful because of its depth, but it's mostly wonderful because it real, reveals to us who our God is. It reveals to us our condition. Uh, it would be a, a horrible thing for us to go through life and to die and spend eternity in hell because no one ever made us aware uh, of the divide that came between us and God because of sin. The Word of God is His mechanism to do that. Not only did He tell us about our fate uh, without Christ, but He revealed to us because of His love for us uh, that He sent His Son to become our sin on Calvary's cross, to pay the debt for us that we could not that we could not pay not only so that we could be adopted and grafted into the family but that we could be born into the family of God and what a wonderful thing it is to know uh, and to be encouraged by God's word uh, and to be shown what God wants in our life in verse 130 he says the entrance of thy words giveth light uh, light is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so uh, there are so many things that we're blind to, the, the darkness of the day and age in which we live. And I, I don't really think that that's different than other ages. It just feels like it to us. Darkness has always been since the beginning of time. Anytime uh, that God tries to do something, Satan pushes back and tries to, to undo it. Uh, and God's word gives light. It illuminates. It gives understanding. Sometimes light means, hey, I couldn't see anything. Uh, but it also means it gives me understanding, the ability to understand something that God is working on in my life. Verse 131, he says, I opened my mouth and panted uh, for I longed for thy commandments. And what a wonderful thing it is to come into a place in your Christian life where you begin to long for the truth of God's word. You know, so many times we hear the truth, we hear the gospel, uh, we hear preaching on a weekly basis, we uh, get into God's Word and we'll go through periods kind of a spiritual drought where we do it because we know we should. Then there are other times where you're just, you're just parched, you just long for it. You know, you get out this time of the year and and uh, uh, my wife is the kind of person that really doesn't like water very much. She doesn't like, I mean, she'll uh, she'll tell you that if she has to drink more than one bottle of water a day, she feels like she's being waterboarded. She just doesn't like it. She has to kind of make herself drink a lot of water. And I'll uh, I'll drink five or six bottles of water in the day without even trying. Uh, and so, but when I get outside and get hot, get dehydrated, it's a whole lot easier 
uh, to want something whenever I'm dry, whenever I'm uh, something's been withheld. And whenever we get that way spiritually, that's a wonderful time. It's a wonderful time to come to a place where you recognize, you know, my walk with God maybe is not all that it should be, and uh, I have not been trending in a positive direction in my walk with the Lord, uh, and we begin to get hungry and thirsty for God again. We begin to get hungry and thirsty for His Word uh, and what it does. At, at verse 132, he says, Look upon me and be merciful unto me, as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. And what a wonderful truth that God is merciful. And for us to come realizing our sin and seeking the mercy of God, verse number 133, and we'll spend most of our time dealing with this principle this morning, order my steps in thy word. What, what is our guiding principle of our lives? What guides us? What shapes us? What shapes our thinking? What uh, propels us forward? What motivates us? Is it the word of God? Does the word of God and its principles and its truth guide and shape the way that I think and the way that I uh, feel, the way that I govern my life, the direction and the path in which I head? Verse 134, he says, uh, deliver me from the oppression of man. What he's talking about here is just simply uh, the, the system of the world and the culture of the world around us. It doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter uh, whether it was, uh, you know, 40, 50 years ago or 40, 50 years from now. The essence of it is all the same. Uh, it is the agenda of the God of this world, and it pushes the agenda of the God of this world. And we, as God's people, are kind of caught in that to be a light to the darkness of that and to be a testimony of what God wants to do uh, in lives. So he says, deliver me from the oppression of man. May I not succumb to that pressure, to that temptation. May I not uh, be overwhelmed by what's going around me in the world. Listen, it's an easy thing today to get overwhelmed by what's going on in the world around us. There are a lot of things that are senseless. There are a lot of things that happened yesterday that just uh, are senseless. And then even worse is that you'll have uh, the things politicized and, and, and you know, kind of shoved in the wrong direction uh, and it's it's a tragedy uh, and you say well pastor I don't understand how things like that can happen well the, the simple fact of the matter is is that we live on an earth that's cursed by sin and people that are under the control of sin and the God of this world do evil things we live in a world that is overrun by evil and it's up to us to walk a, a, with Christ and to live holy in Christ Jesus that the world might see uh, the light of the gospel so that God can impact them. And so uh, we need to be in prayer for those that have lost loved ones. But uh, even more than that, we need to be praying that God will work in this circumstance to show people their need uh, for the gospel of Christ uh, everywhere that they are. Uh, in verse 135, he says, make thy face to shine upon thy servant. What a wonderful thing it is to desire the blessing of God, to desire God's empowerment on our life. Teach me thy statutes, a hunger to learn the word of God. And then verse 136, rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. You know, the, fact, the sad fact of the matter is, is that most people today uh, do not take responsibility for their failure. Do not take responsibility for their actions. Children look, uh, and adults alike, in the time in which we live, look to shift blame elsewhere because we've just been trained that if, if I'm not, if I have an excuse and I'm not responsible. Now that's not true, but that's what a lot of people believe. 
And we feel somehow as if, uh, if the actions of our life and the thoughts of our mind and the deeds that we do uh, can be somehow justified uh, by an excuse. And the reality is, is that I will stand before God without excuse. God will hear and accept no excuse. When I sin, I'm responsible for it. And I will, uh, and I will answer to God for it. Now, praise the Lord, Jesus Christ, if he saved your soul, those sins are covered by the blood of Christ and you will not have to answer uh, in terms of, uh, of, of paying for them because Jesus has already done that. But I do have to answer for them to my fellowship with God and God's power in my life and how my life uh, impacted the lives of others because of his ability to work in me. And so that is the culmination of this section of, uh, of Psalm 119. And so as he expresses here, and what I'm trying to express to you is that the psalmist is expressing that he has an earnest desire to experience God in his life in a real and meaningful way. And that's what should be the desire of our heart this morning. That we would be having the desire in our heart to experience God on a new level. Say, so, well, Pastor, I'm very close to the Lord. I spend time with the Lord uh, every day, and, uh, and I praise the Lord. I'm happy for you, and that's a great thing, and that's what every Christian's testimony should be. But I'm going to tell you something. No matter how close you are right now, you can be closer tomorrow. And that ought to be the desire of our heart, not to be satisfied with what God has done in our life to this point, and not to be satisfied with how God has changed our life to this point, but to have a desire to walk in the presence and the fellowship of our Savior every day, uh, to get closer and closer to Him uh, as, we, uh, as we move forward and as we go. And so uh, he makes some requests throughout this section of the psalm, and, uh, and he says, first of all, I want to point out, just by way of introduction this morning, he says, let not iniquity have dominion over me. In essence, what he's saying here is, Lord, guide me. Guide me. I don't want to be under the dominion of iniquity. Now, iniquity uh, in the Bible is almost always sin that's intentional. There's a difference between an accidental sin, that's a transgression, something that I, that I do uh, that I didn't intend to do or that I didn't even realize maybe sometimes that I was committing this sin against God when I did it. That's often referred to and most often referred to as a transgression. Uh, and those things I'm still responsible for. I'm still responsible to know the Word of God and to learn the Word of God. My ignorance of the Bible is not an, it does not exempt me from the truth of the Bible. Uh, and so I must uh, give an account and answer for those things as well. But an iniquity is in a different class. An iniquity is when I look at God and I say, God, I know what you said about this, and I'm going to do it anyway. I, I know what you say the consequence is, but I'm going to do it anyway. God, I, I, I just, I, in this moment, in this time, in this day, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. Now, we've all been there. We all do that from time to time. Uh, we all make that mistake. And then we feel generally, uh, if, you're, if you're sincere about your walk with the Lord and trying to live for God, you feel horrible about it later and you feel convicted and, uh, and you want to make it right. And, uh, and that's a good thing. But a lot of people just kind of, well, it's okay because this person did this to me. Or it's okay because this happened at work. Or it's okay because I'm stressed out. Uh, or it's okay because, uh, or, or because, uh, you know, I've, I've got a lot on my plate right now and I, I'm dealing with a lot. And, and what the psalmist says here is he says, let not iniquity have dominion over me. Now, the word dominion uh, is, is used a lot whenever we talk about a monarchy where the king has dominion over his subjects. He has absolute rule over his subjects. In essence, what he's saying here is, 
Lord, I don't want my sin to get so powerful and so strong in my life that it begins to rule and dominate my life that I come under its power and under its control. All of us, whether you know Christ is your Savior or not, uh, you will sin. I will sin. I sin every day. I hate to admit that, and I hate to, uh, I hate to face the reality of that, but the truth of the matter is, uh, is that I'm just a big old fat sinner. I'm a big, fat, bald, ugly sinner. That's what I am. Uh, and so no matter where I go, no matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, I'm going to sin. Uh, and so if you want to sin, uh, if you're like me, the only about all you've got to do really to kind of get sin to, to sin is just drive through the parking lot at Walmart and uh, especially on tax free weekend. That's not a great idea. Uh, and so uh, it, it's just uh, I mean, you just kind of get in a bad way, in a bad way of thinking, a bad frame of mind, but not to let it have dominion over you. By the way, we have a program here on meets on Friday nights called Reformers Unanimous that is designed to help people that have gotten to the point that sin has dominion over you in some aspect or some place in your life and to help break the power of that sin to learn principles and truths from the word of God. But the same the same applies to us all. David's not saying here, I've reached a state of sinless perfection. He's saying, I have major sin in my life. I disappoint and fail God on a regular basis. And he paid a high price for it. But he says, Lord, don't let my sin go unconfessed don't let my sin run wild in my life where I don't let you deal with it, where I don't confess it and ask your forgiveness and get it right with you. Even if I struggle with the same sin tomorrow, Lord, I don't want to end the day with this sin in my heart and in my life and on my mind. Because when we do that, we allow it to take root and we allow it to overwhelm us and we allow it to dominate our life and it has dominion. He says, Lord, don't let me get to a place where sin has dominion over me where it has control over me. Listen, I don't know about you, but I want to be controlled by the Word of God. I want to be under the control and the influence and the authority of the Spirit of God. I want to be walking in obedience to what God's desire for my life is because then He can bless me. Then He can use me. Then he can direct me and give me guidance. And, and he says here, and that's in essence what he's saying with this statement. Is he saying, let not iniquity have dominion over me? What's he saying? He's saying, God, guide me. Guide my steps. Guide my path. Guide my thoughts. Guide my words. Guide what you're doing in my life. And then he says, deliver me from the oppression of man. We talked about that a little bit already. But I believe uh, that the message here is this, is that he's making a statement when he says this in prayer, uh, Lord, deliver me from the oppression of man, is that, Lord, I'm committed to you. I'm not committed to the way of the world. I'm not committed to the way of man. I'm not committed to the agenda of the God of this world. And I'm not committed to the way of my own sinful nature and my own flesh. God, I want you to guide me. I am committed to obey your word. You know, it's a wonderful thing in the life of a Christian when we get to the place where we come to church and we don't sit back and fold our arms and say, all right, pastor, uh, if you can find something new that I've never heard before, I might think about listening to it. All right, pastor, bless me if you can. It's a wonderful thing in a Christian's life when we come to the point where every time we walk through the, through the doors of God's house and sit here and worship God with his people, that we come to the place and say, God, if you'll speak to my heart, if you'll show me the truth of your word, I'll obey it. I'll respond to it. You're not responding to me as a pastor. You're not responding to my preaching. You're responding to the working of God's spirit in your heart and your life. That's the whole point. 
Listen, I don't, I don't want Victory Baptist Church to be uh, the kind of a church where everybody just comes in and tries to please the pastor. That ought to be the last thing on your mind. The first thing that ought to be and the last thing that ought to be on our mind is am I pleasing God? Did I come this morning? Did I, uh, did I hear and worship with a choir and worship with song? Did I allow the Holy Spirit to speak to my heart? And am I sitting here this morning as the Word of God is proclaimed and the truth revealed, uh, no matter how well it's, 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 it's given or how poorly it's given, that doesn't matter. What matters is my heart is open, Holy Spirit, to receive your Word. If you will speak to me, my attitude is that I will obey you. Not because the pastor said so, not because it was whoever preached said so, but because as the word of God was preached, Holy Spirit, you began to commune with my spirit and deal with my heart and you brought convicting power in my life and you began to convince me of the truth of the principle from the word of God and therefore I will obey God. I will obey the word of God. I will follow the spirit of God. Guide me. I'm committed to obey. Are you committed to obey this morning? If we come in here this morning and we sit here, can, have we said and do we desire for God to be the one who guides our thoughts and our steps? Are we committed when God court changes our course to obey Him? And by the way, if you're trying to live for God and serve God uh, and allowing God to work in your life, there are going to be course corrections that He's going to make. That's what He does. He, he, what the whole point here is, look, guide me. I want you to prevent me from getting off track. I want you to prevent me from taking a wrong turn. I, I, I want you to protect me from making mistakes and, and guide my steps. And uh, he also says, make thy face to shine upon me. In other words, he's seeking God's blessing. He's saying, God, teach me. So get the attitude of the psalmist here. He said, all right, Lord, guide me. If you'll guide me, I'm committed to obey you. And that means that I'm in a frame of mind where I'm wanting you and I'm seeking you now to teach me. Now, it's one thing to walk into a classroom as a teacher and to, and to say, uh, here's the agenda for the day. Here's the lesson for the day. Here's the, uh, the outlay for the year. This is our objective. This is what we uh, want to accomplish throughout the course of this year. Uh, and then to have a student who uh, looks there and just says, well, I have to be here. Uh, but I'm really not committed to getting much out of this, as opposed to having a teacher, a student who's eager to learn because they see the value in what's being presented and they want it to shape and impact their life. And as a Christian, I want to come to the place where I have a desire for God not just to be a part of my life, but to govern my life. Where I want to get to a place where I allow God uh, to have liberty and freedom within my heart. And I say, God, guide my steps. I'm committed to obey you. If you'll show me your truth, teach me. I'm not saying, okay, God, guide me. I'm committed to obey, but I don't want to hear what the, the, what the truth is. I don't want to hear what you want to do in my life. No, I'm, I'm hungry. And here the, the psalmist is hungry. He says, teach me. Around 1000 A.D., Poland had a king named uh, Belislaw, uh, and the, he was known as Belislaw the Brave. And so there were two that followed. One was Belislaw the Brave, and another was uh, Belislaw the, the Generous. Uh, and so depending on who you read and what you read, uh, they were good kings or they were bad kings, kind of like all political figures. They're, depending on your point of view, they're evil or they're good. Uh, and so uh, this particular king carried with him uh, a drawing of his father. And so I'm not sure which of the two it was, uh, but he carried with him a, a drawing of his father. Uh, and when he began any great work, any uh, great endeavor, 
he would take out that picture and he would pray and ask God to help him that he might do nothing unworthy of such a father's name. I just wonder this morning how many of us as Christians would say as we begin our day, as we begin an endeavor for the Lord, as we begin an endeavor of faith or we begin something new in our life that we, that we stop and we pray and consider our family name, Christian, little Christ. If, hey, listen, if Jesus Christ has saved your soul, if you put your faith and trust in him as your Savior, your name is Christian. You are a representative of him. Matter of fact, the Bible says you're an ambassador of him. You even speak with his authority. Make sure you're carrying his message and not your own. And this king would take out this picture of his earthly father and say, I don't want to dishonor this. I want to, I want to be worthy of this name. How many of us begin our day, Father, help me to live worthy of the name of Jesus today. Help me to live worthy. Help me to represent well my family name in Christ today. It's been said that a holy life is no work of chance. It is a masterpiece of order. It's not done, it's not achieved accidentally. It's achieved by the Spirit of God working in us and living through us. Adam Clark, a Methodist theologian of the 1700s, said this, Order my steps. Make them firm. Let me not walk with a halting or an unsteady step. We ought to be deliberate in our walk. I, I love the story of how uh, Dr. John R. Rice uh, met his wife, and and he was just a uh, he was just a scrawny little thing, and he was at uh, at college, and uh, and uh, his wife would sit and watch people kind of pass by, and the reason that she was drawn to him is said is because wherever he went and whatever he did, he was doing it deliberately. There was a deliberance to his walk. He did not slouch. He did not, uh, in other words, he wasn't one of these people that are just kind of like, kind of going along like this. And they just really, they're going somewhere, but they didn't look like they were going anywhere. They were going somewhere, but they didn't, uh, they, they, they just, they just looked like they were drifting through life. There was no determination. No, when he walked somewhere, he was in a hurry. He was standing up straight. He had good posture and he was, he was just, he had somewhere to go. He had somewhere to be. He had something to do. And Christians, you have somewhere to go. You have somewhere to be. You have someone to represent. And a Christian ought to walk uh, with, uh, with some posture. A Christian ought to walk like you've got somewhere to go, like you're representative of someone that's, uh, that is powerful and that is, uh, that, is, that is godly and holy because we are. We are representatives of our Father in heaven. And he ought to order our I don't want to walk with a halting step. I don't want to walk, uh, I don't want to walk spiritually lame. Uh, I don't want to be spiritually uh, lazy and, and, and just kind of drifting along. I've got somewhere to go. We've got something to accomplish. Listen, life is short. Time is short. I only had uh, so many years to invest in my children before they left home. And the same is true of you. You, you. you don't have time to waste. It doesn't matter where they are and what stage of life. There is no time to waste in investing in their lives for the cause of Christ. Because I promise you the world is investing in their lives to destroy it. I want to be intentional. And we talk, think about this this morning. He says now, order my steps in thy word. It's pretty simple, really. What should, my, what should be the driving force of my life? How do I know, pastor, how I should live and how I should walk and how I should act and talk and all of those things? Well, it's really simple. Just do what the Bible says. But I don't know everything the Bible says. We'll start learning. Be committed to learn the Word of God. 
well-ordered steps. Order my steps in thy word. Three thoughts about this this morning. Number one, I would say this. If I'm going to live my life with well-ordered steps, number one, they need to be ordered by principle, ordered by truth. Are my steps ordered by principle? Third John, verse number four, uh, the apostle John wrote, writes, and he says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. Are we walking in truth? Now, there are a lot of things that, you know, you can uh, take and say, well, pastor, what does the Bible say about, the Bible doesn't say anything about this thing that I'm facing, or it doesn't, I understand that the Bible doesn't give explicit instructions concerning social media or cell phones or uh, technology or how to drive, all those kinds of things. The point is, the biblical principles guide our decision-making process in every area of life. The Bible is not a book that was written years ago and has outlived its usefulness. The Bible is relevant in every age. God wrote for us a perfect and an inerrant book. It is a book that is that is not lacking in any measure. It is not, it is not ignorant of the times that we are in, nor the times that'll come if the Lord tarries his coming. It is appropriate and it is relevant and it is practical to make decisions for life. That means I have to learn how to look at the word of God and to discern the principles of God's word and make my decisions and live my life based upon not the trend of the culture, but the principle of the word of God. It's not going to always look the same in the way that it manifests itself from generation to generation and from one age to the next, but the principle never changes. God does not change, and he has not changed, and he will not change. His word is pure. His word is right. His word is holy. The Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ in print. So that he has revealed to us what should guide my life. How can my steps be well ordered? How can I live a life that represents my Savior and pleases my God and, and, and will cause me to be able to stand before him one day and give an account of my life and to hear the wonderful words, well done, my good and faithful servant? What would make that possible? By living our lives according to the principles of his word. It's a decision that every believer has to make on their own. I cannot make it for my sons. I cannot make it for my daughters. I cannot make it for my grandchildren. And I cannot make it for my church members every individual believer has to decide on their own how we'll live what will govern our life let me ask you this morning first of all are you living your life by bible principle are you living your life by bible principle do the things that you do are they governed by a biblical principle well, pastor what if i'm not sure about whether this is going to please god or not well you need to Pray and you need to get in the Word of God and you need to apply biblical principle to make that discernment. That's what the Holy Spirit does in your life. That's why it's so important that we fellowship with the Holy Spirit of God, that we confess and forsake our sins so that He is not bound but has freedom to work within us and to guide us and to govern us. Uh, live by Bible principle. Well, if I live by Bible principle, then, uh, then some of my family and friends aren't going to like that. Well, who do you, who's more important for us to please? I, I don't ever want to go out and do anything to just frustrate somebody or to make them upset with me or make them uh, angry. I, if, but the truth is, 
if I live by truth, if I live by God's word, not everybody's going to be happy about it. Not everyone's going to be accepting of that. And by the way, uh, everybody doesn't have to dot every I and cross every T just the way that we do in order for us to be fellowship. We may get to heaven and find out there's some things that we feel strongly about that we were wrong about. We don't have the market cornered on every, all things spiritual and every Bible principle. And we try to make decisions and be guided by, uh, by the Spirit of God and truth and, uh, and do things in a way that please the Lord that we believe are honoring to God. Uh, but not every believer in Christ is going to see everything the way that I see it or uh, employ it the same way that you employ it in your life. But the important thing is, is, is your decision making based upon a truth or a principle from the Word of God? Or is it based upon what feels good to you today? Is it based upon what the crowd around you is doing today? Is it based upon what's going on culturally in our, in our country today? Those driving forces will lead us to a bad place, but the Word of God will never lead you to a bad place. It might lead you into a difficult place sometime, but God will be there with you. And I'm just saying this morning that I must live my life by Bible principle. Secondly, uh, along with being ordered by principle, my steps being ordered by principle, I would say that the Bible must govern my every decision. Let the Bible govern your every decision. What's governing you? Some, something is governing your life. There's, oh, Pastor, nothing's governing my life. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me how to think. Nobody's going to, especially not you. Well, that's good because I have no desire to tell you what to do. I have enough problems with me. But I do want you to understand that somebody or something is telling you what to do from day to day. And you are obedient to someone or something. Oh, no, I'm not. Well, when that random thought pops into your mind, and when your body cries out for something that you know that you shouldn't partake in, or you go and you do something because you feel like doing it, you are surrendering your life to the will and to the demands of your physical being. See, a Christian should never be in, have their life lived in order where our flesh, where our physical body makes our decisions. It will always lead us to a bad decision. It's not the way that God created us. If you're saved this morning, you have a spirit and you have a soul and you have a body. And if the body is in control, you're in trouble. And if the soul is in control, you're in trouble. It's the spirit which communes with the spirit of God that should be in control. If my flesh, my body, my physical desires well up uh, and, and, and want to assert themselves, and it comes into harmony with my soul because my soul uh, is wretched, though saved by the blood of Christ. But my spirit in communion with the Holy Spirit should be the one that's in authority so that it can say no to those things which are hurtful and harmful to me. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, the, the, the pecking order of your life, authority-wise, your, within your own being should be your spirit and then your soul and then your body. Any other order leads to tragedy. Now, I don't have time really to develop that, and if, if that's a little bit deep or hard to understand. Uh, I, I don't mean for it to be. I'm just trying to establish the fact that every decision of my life should be governed by a Bible principle and truth. You want to live a well-ordered life this morning? You want to have well-ordered steps with God leading? Then be ordered. let your life be ordered by principle. Secondly, that my steps must be ordered by persuasion. 
My steps must be ordered by persuasion. In Romans chapter number 4 uh, and verse number 12, uh, in dealing with justification by faith in Christ alone, not by works, but by faith, and he's using Abraham here as, uh, as, uh, as a guide and as, uh, as a testimony the Apostle Paul is, uh, and he says, And the father of circumcision to them that are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. So in other words, uh, here's the principle, that Abraham walked and lived in faith before circumcision or before God entered into a covenant with him. God showed up and God told him what to do. And God said, if you'll do this, and and he told him the things that he would do. But there was a set point in time when God communed with Abraham after Abraham had left and been faithful where he set an actual covenant in place and walked the covenant with him. And that's a a whole other sermon. But the covenant was established. My point is, is that before the official establishment of covenant, there was faithfulness. Be faithful. Be persuaded that I am going to be faithful to my God. I'm going to be faithful to his word. I'm going to be obedient to his principles. Who are you allowing this morning to persuade you? If we are persuaded by the world, if we are persuaded by the media, if we are persuaded by culture, if we are persuaded by co-workers, if we are persuaded uh, by those who just live their life casually bumping along and uh, not really understanding why mankind even exists, then we will not live a life that pleases God. I must live my life being persuaded by the Word of God, by God's people, and by the Holy Spirit of God as He leads my life. That's how I'm going to please God. Well, Pastor, how do I make this decision? Or how do I get to a place where I can do this or do that? Listen, come to the place. uh, I remember being taught this whenever I was just a student in Bible college. Things that are kind of harder to understand or gray areas. Or how do I know that this is what God wants me to do? Well, what does the Bible state clearly? And ultimately, it comes down to what do the best Christians that I know do about this? If you get to a place where it's just, Pastor, it's just kind of a gray, I really can't figure things out. I know that the Bible says this, and I think it may mean it, but I'm just not sure. Well, when you've researched and you've done what the Bible says, and you're still unclear, and you've prayed, and God's not giving you a clear answer, look around and see the best Christians that you know. What are they doing? There's just safety that way. I would rather err on the side of caution. I would rather uh, I would rather stand before God, Brother Frankie, someday and give an account for my uh, for the way that I led my home as a husband and a father, and for the way that I led the church that I pastor. I, I would rather stand accountable for God and God say, you know, you 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 could have lightened up a little bit here, than for Him to say, man, you just let things get completely out of control. So, Pastor, I'd rather kind of live on the out-of-control side. Well, that's between you and the Lord. I'm just telling you this morning that when I make decisions, I want to decide according to Bible truth, Bible principle, and if it's an area where I'm just uncertain, I'm going to look around and see what are the people that God, that I know walk with God, what is their opinion and what is their take on the matter? I want to seek that counsel and that guidance as God leads me in making the decision. And so, ordered by persuasion, who do I let influence my life? Now, I've always been taught, even in 
in school as a young boy, the, the most important thing uh, and some of the most important decisions that you make in life uh, are, are the most important things that happen are the friends that you make and the books that you read. The point is, is who you allow to persuade you, who you allow to be your influencers, who are you allowing to influence your life? Oh, pastor, I'm in my 70s. I'm in my 80s. I'm influencing the lives of others. Well, that's good. You should be, but your life's still being influenced too. All of us are influencing and all of us are being influenced. I want to make sure that I'm controlling who's influencing my life. I want to make sure that I know who is influencing me and where they're coming from and, uh, and, and whether it is uh, uh, going to lead me to a place that, that causes me to live for God. Listen, faith is a, is a, is a well-ordered step. We must live by faith. Uh, and faith, by the way, leads to great endeavors. If you're living your life by faith, you're not going to be content uh, to just be casual in your Christian life. Exercise faith. This last over the last couple of weeks, and you pray about this for Brother David and Miss Adriana, but the church that they're uh, raising funds to plant in Houston, you realize uh, that they, they had a Bible study a few weeks ago. 20 people from the community showed up. One got saved. There are already people that are being discipled that are driving into the city to disciple. And on Monday, he got a text message from some businessmen in the city uh, that said, hey, we've got some buildings that we want you to look at. Uh, come and look at them. He had a meeting on Saturday and saw several. Monday, they texted him back and said, hey, we need you to come back down here and pick one out. $900,000 plus dollar building asking price. They offered, I think, half a million for it, uh, and they accepted the offer, and he spent the rest of the week trying to establish the entity of the church so that the legal framework uh, that businessmen in the inner city are providing a building debt-free for a brand-new church plant. Uh, and and you, I've looked at him at times in my life and said, son, I think you're, you're I haven't even, I've, I've not voiced it because I don't want to crush anything, but I've thought on more than one occasion, you're really going way out there only to see God turn around and bless it. A life lived by faith is a life that will endeavor, it will, that will take on great endeavors. Are you living your life by faith? What in your life is being challenged by your faith? What in your life is the Spirit of God talking to you about, speaking to you about on a regular basis that is causing you to leave your comfort zone and to be what God wants you to be? I love the passage in, in the Old Testament that talks about uh, an eagle stirring up her nest. Sometimes as Christians, we just get real comfortable where we are. When a, when a mother eagle would have, uh, when, the, when they would have a chick that wouldn't leave the nest, then they would start stripping the nest down. I mean, when they're preparing, they uh, get it, and it's huge, and it's got all these, you know, jagged sticks and things in it, and then they'd, they'd find soft things to put in the bottom of it so, the, uh, so that the little hatchlings would be comfortable whenever they hatched out. But if they refuse to learn to fly and they refuse to get out, then what the mother eagle will do is just start taking away some of the comfort and throwing it out, out of the nest until it gets so uncomfortable in the nest that they want to leave. By the way, there's some parents that that might be some good advice for you this morning. Uh, if you've, you've got some, uh, you know, 20-somethings that, that don't want to spread their wings and fly. Uh, and so uh, what I'm saying, though, as a Christian, 
am I ready, uh, am I so comfortable that I don't let God speak to my heart, that I will not allow the Lord uh, to cause me to endeavor in great things of faith uh, for his glory, ordered by persuasion. What's ordering me this morning? What's ordering my steps? And then thirdly, I would say, lived out in the Spirit. Lived out in the Spirit. My steps must be ordered by principle. They must be ordered by persuasion, by what influences me. And they must be lived out in the Spirit. I cannot live them out in my faith or or in my flesh. I must live them out according to the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul uses that analogy because someone that uh, gets drunk gets to the point where they're out of control. They have no control over their thoughts, their mind, their speech is slurred, the way that they think changes, the way that they behave oftentimes changes. Some people get silly, some people get violent, it affects different people in different ways. But the point is, is that when it comes to alcohol or some kind of a a narcotic, you lose control. God's not telling us, uh, he's saying, be not drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, put yourself under the control of the Holy Spirit. Submit and surrender. I don't want to live under my authority, under my control. I want to live under His. Lived out in the Spirit. I must come to a place uh, where I am walking with the Lord, where I'm faithful to God, where I'm living uh, for my Savior. And for 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says it this way, for we walk not by sight, but by faith. How do we live? Are we living by faith and not by sight? I said that backwards. Lived out in the Spirit. Two thoughts about this. First, I must be empowered by the Spirit. I've got to do things in the Spirit's power. Now, Pastor, I don't know how to do that. Just surrender to Him. Surrender to Him, learn of Him, and He will empower you. How do I know? Well, you may not until you see Him working. D.L. Moody said one time, that he got alone with God in prayer and he spent time in prayer and he just wouldn't leave until he felt the Spirit or knew the Spirit of God. He had preached and he got up out of that meeting and he went to the same places, to the same crowd, to the same people and preached the same sermons. First time he preached them, maybe somebody gets saved here and there. But after he spent time with the Lord and the Holy Spirit's power come upon him, hundreds were saved. Thousands were saved. Same place, same venues. Same congregants, same sermons. One difference. One difference. The power of man versus the power of God. He didn't know until he saw the result. Are you men leading your home? Power of your flesh or the power of the spirit? Are you ladies nurturing your family in the power of the flesh or the power of the spirit? Are you children honoring and obeying your parents? The power of your flesh, the power of your spirit. Christian, are you taking forth the gospel? The power of your flesh, the power of your spirit. Are you reading your Bible and entering into time of prayer in your own power or in God's power? I realized this morning that very few Christians will ever experience what I'm preaching to you. Because very few Christians are willing to surrender their will to God's. Very few Christians are willing 
to allow God to order their steps. But if you'll allow God to order your steps, you'll experience God like you've never experienced Him before. If you'll allow God to order your steps and to live by principle and to be persuaded by those that love Him and to be living in the power of the Spirit, then God will use your life in an incredible way to impact this world for the cause of Christ. And that, my friends, is the purpose of the Christian life. To bring glory to God by impacting the world around us as God works and lives through us. A person who has well-ordered steps will live a life that pleases God. Will live a life that God can bless. Will live a life that will one day allow you to stand before God and hear Him say, Welcome home. Well done, thou good and faithful servant.